Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, fellow Creative Control listeners. My name is Mac Cameron. I live in Toronto, and I have been listening to Creative Control with Vish Khanna since episode 119. That featured all five members of one of my favorite bands, Constantine's. I listen backwards from there and then forwards, and I know it sounds, you know, over the top or cliche, but finding the show changed the course of my life. It inspired me to pursue a career in radio and to do what I can to support the arts in my community and across the country. So I give to Creative Control because I feel like I owe the show and Vish uh, for helping me figure out what the hell to do with my life. Beyond that, I give to Creative Control because I think independent media, especially insightful, entertaining, thoughtful, and thorough independent media is something that is worth paying for. What I appreciate about Creative Control is Vish's ability to treat Canadian artists, or any artist for that matter, with the seriousness and appreciation he would any other artist. His excellent rapport with people like Steve Albini and the members of Fugazi and Stephen Malcolmus and others have earned him international appreciation. However, it's his trove of interviews with what I consider to be the most exciting generation of Canadian musicians conducted out of genuine passion and interest that makes this show so special. I think it is an archive of some really exciting music that is way, way underreported on and appreciated. That's why I contribute to Creative Control with Vishkana, and I hope you will do the same. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. I'm Visha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. Jeff Parker is a renowned multi-instrumentalist who currently calls Los Angeles, California home. Particularly esteemed as a guitarist, Parker is a member of the influential band Tortoise and has been a prolific collaborator and solo artist in his own right. His latest album is the critically acclaimed and hip-hop-infused Sweet for Max Brown, which was co-released by International Anthem Recording Company and Nonesuch Records. 
on January 4th, 2020, and is dedicated to Parker's mother. Jeff and I had a chance to discuss this wondrous album recently, as well as delving into his trajectory as a music fan, student, and teacher, the guiding hands of his parents, who were both professors and, in his late father's case, truly loved jazz, how he got into hip-hop, and how producers like Dilla inspired him to create Sweet for Max Brown, what might be next for Tortoise, his own future plans, and more. A part of the E1 Podcast Network, with the support of listeners like you who subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, this is the 525th episode of Creative Control, featuring the wonderful Jeff Parker with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Jeff. How's it going? It's going great. How are you? I'm well. It's nice to speak with you again. It's been a, a long time. I used to live in Guelph, Ontario. I don't know if you... Do you remember Tortoise playing Guelph? You've played Guelph before, too, I think, haven't you? Yeah, I played at Guelph with uh, Tortoise and also with uh, Nicole Mitchell, I think. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that was uh, for the Guelph Jazz Festival. Anyway, I moved. I I understand you moved from Chicago to L.A., and I've also moved west to Edmonton, Alberta, where I'm calling you from today. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I moved to L.A. in uh, 2013 full-time. Nice. And what prompted that move? It's kind of a change of scenery and a combination of factors. I mean, one, my uh, family, my partner teaches film at California Institute of the Arts. In order to uh, kind of keep our family together, I had to move out here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it felt like I was kind of running in place in Chicago and needed some fresh uh, environs to kind of keep me going. It did seem, or it does seem to me, that there was something of a Chicago exodus recently, and it's interesting that uh, John McIntyre, your your pal and mine <laughs> from uh, Tortoise, yeah. also moved to California, right? I believe he's in San Francisco. Uh, he was kind of around San, around Sacramento. Oh, was it Sacramento? Okay, okay. Yeah, but he uh, he's actually moved. He's in Portland, Oregon yeah. now. Yeah, I saw that on Instagram. Now he's saying Soma book sessions at Soma in Portland. I just saw that yesterday, and I wonder what was going on there. Yeah, I think he got a... I mean, he had built a nice studio out there, but I think the fires were oh, kind oh, of uh, right. kind of kind of scared him off. Yeah, that, rightfully, rightfully so. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. Absolutely. So, I guess to my point, is there something, Jeff? Is there something wrong with Chicago? Why is everyone leaving Chicago? No, Chicago is amazing. Okay, just making um, sure. <laughs> yeah, no, no, Chicago is still incredible, man. Yeah. It's but, you know, I mean, after a while is when any you live in some place for a really long time and you kind of want to, you want to change it up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I understand there's some um, familial stuff going on uh, on your last two records, including this beautiful new one, um, Sweet for Max Brown. First of all, congratulations on this record. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. 
Yeah. So I want to get into that familial stuff in a kind of a roundabout way. We're talking about where you are now uh, in California. We talked a little bit about Chicago. Jeff, where are you actually from? Uh, I was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and I but I was grew up in Hampton, Virginia. Oh, okay. And did you move? Yes. Around, you moved around. Uh, I assume your parents were moving around, and thus you moved around as well. Uh, yeah. Well. I mean, we moved to Hampton when I was seven from Bridgeport um, because my father got a job teaching at the university down there. Actually, both my parents taught at the university in Hampton. Oh, okay. And I lived there until I left for college where I I went to Boston. Oh, okay. Okay. To Berkeley. Okay. Oh, yes. The Berkeley School. Yes. That's a, I had uh, interviewed Susan Rogers. From uh, the, do you know Susan Rogers, a professor at the Berkeley School? She worked with Prince and a bunch of people. Uh, I I don't. She might have started after I left. Yeah, she was Prince's earliest producer and engineer, and he kind of just hired her, even though she had no experience. And then she produced some records by him and other people, and then yeah, went on to teach there. So yes, probably well after you were there. But uh, wow, Berkeley Berkeley, it's the Berkeley School of Music, right? Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a was that a that, that was that an important part of your trajectory being at that school? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Now your parents taught at university. That's interesting to me because the sort of narrative around your previous album, The New Breed, was that it was based on a uh, the title of of a shop that your your father owned or ran, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, he uh he owned it. He owned a, it was a, what was it, a clothing store or something? It was, yeah. Okay, okay, but was this a side hustle on top of being a professor, or did he <laughs> did he give up the teaching to, to run the store? Uh, no, he was doing it alongside teaching. I mean, that was in Bridgeport. That was when, before we had moved oh, okay. to Virginia, where he was a college professor. Okay. So what did your parents both teach, if you'd mind me asking? I'm just curious. Uh, my mother actually taught. They had a laboratory school, like an elementary school, mm-hmm. attached to the university. And she taught there at the school. And my father taught, like, sociology at the university. Okay. Now, did those two trajectories for your parents, do, do you suppose they had any particular influence on your interest in music? Not so much. No. No. <laughs> does, does it do, no. do they inform your interest in music now in terms of it maybe being a sociopolitical expression? No. No. They but I mean my parents, my father especially loved music and I kind of got that from him. I mean, it, I got introduced to that from him. Okay. It wasn't a vocational thing or a, a professional interest of his, but he liked music. Yeah, very much. Yeah, I mean, he was I mean, he could he could have been a musician if he wanted, you know. But he uh I mean, he liked to sing. And he loved, you know, he had a real uh keen ear ear for music. And he, you know, he collected he didn't collect records like a collector, but you know, he bought records and he had a pretty substantial collection of of LPs that he had bought from, you know, from when he was a teenager, kind of up until he passed away. Right. Okay. And do you have a particular uh, fondness for any of those records? Like, did they have an impre- Did they make an impression on you? Oh yeah, yeah, man. I mean, I was, you know, I mean, he he was listening to uh, 
a lot of jazz, like more kind of funky, funkier stuff like Jimmy Smith, mm-hmm. Art, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, Groove Holmes, the Jazz Crusaders, stuff like that. But also like, you know, Earth, Wind and & Fire and Stevie Wonder and he loved this gospel group called the Dixie Hummingbirds. Okay, okay. So as you know, a lot of stuff. So he he could have been a, or sorry, he liked singing, but you say he could have been a musician. Did either of your parents play? No. No, okay. No, 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 neither of them did. But you feel like if your father, given his proficiency at different things, if he had put his mind to it, he probably could have been a musician. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he admired musicians a lot. Hmm. You know, I mean, but both my parents, they were both really brilliant teachers, man. Right. I mean, they, that was kind of their calling. Hmm. And uh, they knew that. They knew that. Yeah. But my father really admired musicians. I mean, he had friends who were musicians and students. Okay. So, they're, okay. so hmm, that's interesting. So how did you end up getting into music? It sounds like your father's record collection in particular inspired you to listen to music. Do you have a recollection of where you made that springboard from being a listener and a fan to actually trying to play yourself? Yeah. I mean, my sister, well, my grandmother had an organ in her house. And when I used to go visit her, I would play the organ. It was like, I don't know, one of those like kind of Lowry console organs with a bunch of buttons and you could kind of change the sounds of them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a Hammond with uh, draw bars. But, uh, you know, I kind of gravitated toward that. So my parents saw that I was interested in that. So they signed me up for piano lessons. Oh, okay. So that was when I was around seven or eight. That's um, that's my son is in piano. Well, he was in piano lessons. We just moved. But anyway, he's around the same age, seven, eight. Yeah, okay, that's good. That's interesting. Yeah, but I didn't uh, I didn't like the, the – it was like a group class. Oh, and uh, I didn't like it very much, so I kind of... That's just like my son. He doesn't like it very much. This is amazing. Yeah. This is the same same yeah. trajectory. <laughs> right. My son right. could be the next Jeff Parker. That's all I'm saying. Like, that's it. That's yeah. fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's... Right. It's, it's interesting. Like, But you... Did you... I've talked to other musicians about this, and they have the same thing. Got put into some kind of lesson, didn't really want to do it, but then, you know, cut to 10 years later, oh... Guess what I have in my back pocket? A little bit of that skill. And now I can apply yeah, it. Sure. To, did you find that yourself? Like you took the lessons, didn't like it. Did you did you end up quitting by the way? Uh yes, I right. did. You quit. But so, then I but my sister had taken guitar lessons. Hmm. So we had a guitar laying around the house and I picked that up and I started to play it. And that's when my parents saw that I was interested in that. So they signed me up for guitar lessons. My guitar teacher was amazing, mm-hmm. and he was one of my father's students at the university. And uh, I think it was because of him that I kind of stuck with it. Given the um, kind of instructive bent of your parents' lives, have you taken this on? Do you teach music at all? Yeah, I mean, I have to. I mean, honestly, man, if I didn't have to, I wouldn't. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. For a li- for a lively li- for a livelihood, you have to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, man. Yeah. In jazz, that's kind of part of part of the gig now. Is you kind of teach and play. Right. You say honestly, if you <laughs> didn't have to, you wouldn't do it. You don't necessarily have the same 
teacher's empathy, perhaps, that your your parents have or had? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, you know, I mean, I, I don't mind it. Yeah. I think I'm okay at it. If I had a choice, I would rather not. I'd rather just, you know, write music and play music. Are you teaching a particular... I know from talking to friends who've taught guitar, uh, and, you know, they might be jazz players, they might be, you know, whatever, indie rock players, and they end up being... I'm like, oh, so what do you... You teach the fundamentals? And they say, well, the kid comes in and wants to learn a song. They they just want to learn a song, so i got to teach them the song, and then you hope you build upon that. Like, the, you know, that that learning some of aspect of that song will teach them about the guitar and what's possible... Are you finding that? Right. Are, you, are you teaching a particular style, or are you just teaching whatever the kids want to learn? I haven't taught like that for a long time. Oh. I mean, most of my students are uh, professional or college level. Oh, okay, I see. Oh, okay. There are people that are asking me to teach them because of what I do. I mean, I'm, I haven't had to teach kids like Nirvana songs in probably... <laughs> 30 years or whatever. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I mean, back when I was doing it, kids were learning Van Halen and shit. So yeah, that tells right. you how, how long ago it was. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, are you like some kind of assistant professor at a college or a university or something? Or is it just that are you doing this on your own? No, it's just, you know, I'm usually some kind of adjunct short-term faculty yeah, okay, you are. Uh, there you go. Yeah, like I taught at the Banff Workshop for oh. International Jazz, for creative music, like where Vijay Iyer is the, and Tyshawn Sori are the directors of it. Oh, nice. I did that this summer, and I started, taught at the Stanford Jazz Workshop. Okay, so you've taught at some... So the Banff thing, is that is that here in Alberta where I'm calling from? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, yeah, there, there sure you go. Is. Well, that's amazing. See, I, I was a little worried I was moving to some remote outposts but the more i talk to people you come by sometimes you come by here yeah yeah totally did you like it did you like alberta okay oh man it's amazing banff, banff is like banff is beautiful that's kind of one of the most <laughs> most beautiful places on earth i would say yeah yeah and i know you've seen a, a lot uh so I'm, <laughs> that, it's, I'm glad that that stands out because i'm sure you were like i guess i'm going to you know, northern Canada, what's this going to be like? And then were you surprised by how lovely it was? Uh, I mean, I had, I had had an idea. I knew it was in the Canadian Rockies. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to get to this. Thank you for going through a little of your trajectory because I'm just curious. Oh, We've never really talked about that, I don't think, at great length, and it's interesting to me. Um, it sounds like your parents, unlike some other people's parents, you know, they saw you had an interest and then facilitated you uh, expanding upon it, which is – you you must feel like you maybe were fortunate to have uh, parents who were supporting this. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah. I mean, I, my my parents were amazing. They still, my, my mom still is. Yeah, I'm sorry uh, to hear about uh, the passing of your father. Um, uh, I'm very sorry to hear about that. And this happened... Uh, oh, thank you. What, this was, what, 2015 or 16? Uh, I was in 2014. 14. 14. As this yes. this occurred as, as you were working on a record, right, called the New Breed. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I I'm just curious as and then so I bring this up because you you, you basically that that record was ostensibly sort of for your father in the end, right? Yeah, it kind of just became that. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what was going on. So wasn't the plan? Right. <laughs> yeah. You, you, right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. So. The the idea now that I my understanding is that this new record 
sweet for Max Brown is for your mother, um, Maxine Brown. Uh, was her was that was her, that was her maiden name, right? Yes. Right. So, first of all, let's talk about the connection between the two. You've you've connected them sort of familiarly, if that's a word. And uh, you know, your your, <laughs> your daughter's on this new record as well, and was on the last one. What's yeah. going on with you at this point in your life where you're kind of, you know, trying to bring your family into your work? Is this something you've done before, or are you just feeling particularly reflective about, you know, your life at this point? No, I've done it before. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my ex-partner, I mean, I don't know. I always just kind of, I mean, I work with people that I'm close to, you know. I mean, my kind of everybody who I've ever been in a band with kind of presenting my own music with has always been a very close friend. Mm. I mean, I've, I dedicated this album to my mom because... I wish that my father could have seen how well the new breed was received. You know, I think he would have really appreciated it. And, uh, I wanted to make something for my mom while she's still here to see it. And she loves it. You know, she's kind of super proud and like, it's amazing. And, you know, I mean, I've been making music with my daughter. I don't know, since she was probably four or five you know, I mean, we were just kind of making stuff. If we had made something and I didn't think that it was any good, I wouldn't have even put it on my record, you know? <laughs> yeah, no. But I thought it was pretty good. No, it's... So, so your daughter sings on the first song, is that right? Yeah, yep, she does. It's called Build a Nest. Build a Nest. It's very lovely. It's very beautiful. Did she write the words? No, she didn't. I did. You did. <laughs> well, it's... Yeah. <laughs> it, it, and sorry, how old is your daughter now? She just turned 18. 18. Wow. Okay. So, yes, it's a very uh, mature voice, if I might say, and it works really well. What, what inspired that song for you, by the way, lyrically? I'm just curious. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, I mean, the song's just kind of about, like, slowing down and and taking a look at stuff. I mean, now everything's so fast. I mean, I don't, I hate to sound like, you know, like a fuddy-duddy or something. but <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel the same, though. It is fast. Everything's very fast. It's true. Yeah, you know, it's like people forget things and, you know, everything is, is, is just a lot going on. I mean, it's fast, 24-hour news cycle, and, mm-hmm. you know, everybody takes so much stuff in. Yeah, I mean, it's just about sitting back and building a nest and watching the world go by. Okay, so there's the there's the the, the the notion of stopping and appreciating what's around you. That's fair. However, yes. in the context of a familial album, um, mm-hmm. a nest to build a nest. I mean, who builds a nest? But the uh, I believe it's actually the mama bird. Uh, now that I think about it, but it might be. I, you know, it's the it's the parents. They build a nest for their for their eggs. I, is this too heavy-handed? I feel like there's something going on there, uh, given that you and your daughter, you, you're playing with your daughter there. Uh, she's singing, you're playing. Uh, it's dedicated to your mom. Like, something about familial stuff, again, oh. seems to really be there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I hadn't really thought about it that deeply. <laughs> Sorry, that's just what I do. I think a little, I, I, it's not that deep. It's a, still shallow, but it's a little deep. I try to think deep. Right. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but I, I just, uh, there's something swimming around, I think, in your psyche now. 
I say this because I imagine I feel like you're probably maybe a little bit older than me, but I'm going mm-hmm. through this period of reflecting upon being a parent of two small children. My my parents are getting older. I'm in the middle of this thing that I wasn't expecting to be in the middle of. I just hadn't thought of it until it happened. And now, you know, in my case, my mom got sick. Uh, she's okay now. Uh, my dad, oh, my dad's old. You know, I'm just like I just oh Lord, I have to think about these two sets of people I have to kind of take care of and I'm in the middle. I assume you've gone yeah. through this a little bit yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and honestly, that is stuff that I think about. Hmm. You know, I mean, I called it Sweet for Max Brown. I mean, I didn't call it. I mean, my mother's name now, her name's Maxine Parker Phillips. Hmm. You know, because she became Parker when she married my father and now she's remarried and her husband's last name is Phillips. Right. But I call it Sweet for Max Brown because it's it's for her when she was young and reflective. I mean, it, it's about her with her whole life ahead of her. Right. The cover image is of a photograph of your mother when she was, what, 19 years old? Yep, she's 19. 19. So, well, what is, okay, that's, that is even interesting. In, in an age or of... 18. A, she might have been 18. <laughs> Oh, 18 years old. Okay, I apologize. But my my point here is we're also – that's fascinating in itself because now you're getting into like Ancestry.com territory, Jeff. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what was my mother like? Or back to the future kind of. You know, what was my mother like when she was a young person? What What was ahead of her? What lay ahead of her? Why dedicate a record not simply to your mother but your mother as a teenager? What, what does that mean, do you suppose? I don't know. I mean, I don't really know what it means. That's what it, what it made me think of. I mean, that's why I called it Sweet for Max Brown. Right. Are you aware of your... Do you have questions for your mother about that time in her life? I'm just curious because I think about that. When my mom was sick, I thought I've got to actually interview my parents. Like I interview people mm-hmm. all the time and I thought, I don't know the full extent of my parents' story, which means I don't know the full extent of my own story, and I don't know my family history as well as I should. Do you have these thoughts? Do you feel like you know your parents when they were, like, have you heard enough stories about your parents and how they came up that you feel like you have a handle on it? Or is this some, I know you say you don't know, and I appreciate that. This idea, this concept likely came to you, and you ran with it, but... Is there something subconscious here about wishing you knew a bit more about their youth and what it was like for them? No, I mean, I know, I know, I know a bit. I think it's more about, it's a bigger, bigger picture than that, that I'm Hmm. a bigger question than that, that I'm asking. I mean, this is, it's about like in general people thinking about what's ahead of them Hmm. in their, their lives. I mean, it's not about, that specific, anything that specific. I see. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, I don't really know how to put it any uh, way other than that. Well, I don't mean to put it in any kind of selfish context either, but what was ahead of Maxine Brown at 19, Jeff, was you. It was her granddaughter. I mean, (laughs) so (laughs) it's an interesting, like, if you, if you, if Maxine Brown at 18, 19 is kind of, ground zero on some level for your own existence. Like, that's kind of fascinating, don't you think? Yeah, I do. 
Okay, good. We we agree. It's totally interesting. <laughs> I just wonder if it's part of some soul searching exercise for yourself about your own. You know, how did I get here? What where where did I come from? I feel like that might be swimming around in there. Ah, uh, maybe. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> well, if no one, if anyone is going to know, I would hope it would be you. But it sounds like <laughs> it's a little abstract at the very least. Yeah. Okay. What about the sound of this record? Um, my understanding is you record. Did you record most of the stuff on your own? Is that right? I did. Well, part of the process I did on my own. Yes. Okay. And and sort of the tone of the music generally. I have to say, I in listening to your record, the one. I mean, you, Jeff, you, I've talked to you a few times, I believe, and I think you know I'm a fan of Tortoise as well. I'm familiar with the work you've done, but this record really reminded me of things I wasn't really expecting. I mean, there for me, one of the key things was Dilla, actually, Jay Dilla. Kept, oh, wow. Kept popping up in, in various soundscapes, I suppose. Um, you did. Is it is it fair to say you've done a Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss a bit more experimenting with synthesized beats or, or beats generally is that fair yeah 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 for sure what prompted that i mean just being a fan being a fan of hip-hop but not really like i had no idea how that music was created on a technical level and in an order to to try and find out i just started making beats on my own and that kind of led me into like a lot of other areas of music history and research and like record collecting and, you know, a lot of different things. Well, can you kind of home in on some of the things you discovered in that research and that, in that digging you were doing? Like what, what, what did you come away with from, from that? You know, I mean, you just kind of start to, make beats and you know there's kind of a a lot of rules around it that i don't even know if a lot of people i mean everybody can do it now Mm. it's really easy now just with computers but you know there are a lot of rules like you know you have to sample from the source you can't sample things from sampling you can't sample things that have been sampled you know so you got to start to collect records and listen, listen to them in different ways, you know. And that can lead you into, like, who engineered it, who produced it, mm. you know, what studio it was recorded in, and you know, labels, what specific engineers worked for certain labels, the sounds of different rooms, like who mastered records. Right. 
I mean, it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it sounds. Yeah, I learned. <laughs> sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I learned a lot, and it kind of thrust me into to music production, which is kind of where my head is at right now. Which was kind of why I wanted to do so much of the latest album on my own. Oh, the the independent spirit of of hip hop. There's often, usually for hip hop production, there's there can in many many cases it's just a single solitary person coming up with stuff on yeah. their coming up with everything on their own that appealed to you. Yeah, yeah, it did. You know, I don't know. There's a certain appeal in it. I mean, even before I discovered hip hop, I was always impressed with musicians who could do that, like Prince or like Shuggy Otis or you know Sly Stone. Yeah, like. I mean, and one of my good friends, one of the first musicians I knew who used to really make music on his own with a four-track recorder was this bass player named Chris Lopes, mm. who plays on uh, three of my own records. Right. And so, so he was an inspiration as well, I see. Yeah, totally. Now, you said something that struck me, because I always think of hip-hop and jazz and, and punk as having very few rules. But you said there are rules. Where, who, where did you read these rules? Where, where are the rules come from? <laughs> Just more, I mean, they're kind of unwritten. If you do research, you kind of, you just find find it out. Hmm. Like just from, a, I don't know, if you do an interview or read an interview with like Pete Rock or like even Dilla yeah. or like, you know, they talk about it, <clears throat> you know. I mean, and that's the thing is, is to try and make your own mark with it. You know, you build your own library of recordings and you sample from that. You, you're figuring out your own way to, like, manipulate this source material. I mean, it's not any different from, like, jazz improvisers, you know. In the end, your goal is to not really sound like somebody else. Right. I mean, and even with jazz improvisation, I mean, there's rules within that. I mean, especially with, like, bebop and modern jazz, like, you know, you got to play the changes. Yeah, yeah. And how, how creatively and in your own way you can navigate this terrain is what sets you apart from your peers or what doesn't really get you attention. With hip-hop production, it's kind of the same thing. Right. That's interesting. Okay. That that. So you see parallels between this new form for you, anyway, and the stuff you've done before. In your in your research, were you surprised? I'm 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 just assuming that you discovered this. So if, if it's not true, let me know. But I was going to say, were you surprised by how much of the source material for hip hop does actually come from jazz? Did you did you find that when you were going through the records and trying to figure out where stuff came from? I mean, I didn't. I knew that just from listening to it. I mean, which was, you know, the gold, what they call golden era of hip hop was kind of like, I mean, once I discovered that music, you know, when I was in, I don't know, my early 20s, mm -hmm. it kind of changed everything, my whole relationship with jazz. Before that, I kind of felt like I was playing my parents' music and kind of trying to I felt like it didn't belong to me, really. Right. 
But by the way, when you, once, when you when you refer to a golden era of hip hop, just so I'm on the same page with you, what are you talking about? Late eighties, mid ninety to the mid nineties kind of thing? Uh yeah, like late eighties to um I mean I consider it up until when Dilla died. Right. Okay. Oh. Which was in two thousand six. Right. Okay. That that to you so around let's say, okay, I'm just gonna throw something out there. Low end theory to donuts. Tribe called Quest to Donuts, maybe yeah. is that about right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's probably about right, man. Okay, maybe. Well, I mean, a little bit before Low End, Public Enemy, De La Soul, these kinds of people as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. All yeah. Right. Okay. I'm just I'm just trying to <laughs> trying to find a frame uh, from where you're coming from because I think you and I again I I think we're about the same age or pretty close. I th- uh, but I, that to me is what that's when hip hop spoke to me, and I was I at that time I would have been twelve or thirteen years old. And and then I was just hearing this stuff. Or you know, sorry, I mean, when I heard PE, I was ten or eleven. Um, wow! So imagine hearing that at that age and being like, "Whoa!" And plus, in Canada, we had much music. You had MTV, and they were yeah. they were playing those videos, and I was just like, "Whoa!" Like everything about it was this amazing sensory overload and sense that this was a new kind of music. Yeah, and like you say, like it wasn't my parents' music anymore. This was something different. Yeah. Yeah. So your love affair with hip hop goes back a long time. Yes. Yes, it does. Okay. I guess the the next logical question here is I mentioned and you confirmed that you recorded this record on your own, but you didn't play everything totally by yourself. You had people join you, right? Yes. But but you did play some things. Like you are you playing drums on the the Nest song we were talking about earlier? Yes, I play drums on Build a Nest. Build a Nest is you. Uh, drums are not your first instrument. How rank, rank your proficiency on the drums, Jeff? I'm just curious. <laughs> scale of oh, scale man. of one to ten. Scale of one to ten, I'd give myself like maybe a minus three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now that is your own admission. I love. I think the drums are great. It's mesmerizing. I, by the way, I don't mean to just fixate on this one song, but I, I, it's the first song, so it's a nice entry point into this beautiful record. But so you give yourself a minus three uh, on the drums. Why did you feel compelled to lay down that particular beat on that particular song? Uh, Because elsewhere you're working with uh, people who maybe are closer to a a nine or a 10 on the drums. But why did you think, no, this one and maybe others are this, I'm going to do this. Why did you want to play the drums on these songs, the songs you play on? I mean, part of it was just me trying to be honest. I mean, I like the music. I don't like my drumming. <laughs> but but it sounds fine in the context, you know. But I can't I played the the instrument I I play best is the guitar. Mm-hmm. And I still I mean most of the time I don't even like that. <laughs> so it's it's kind of <laughs> I just have to step back and look at the bigger context. Yeah. Like what am what am I trying to say? And a lot of this music, I mean, I make it for me, for my own uh, self-preservation and self-confidence and stuff. You know, the kind. I mean, I mean, I do things to, to prove to myself that I can do them, and I'm kind of really fortunate to have outlets to do that. Yeah. I mean, I don't consider myself a very good drummer, but I think it it sounds pretty good on the record, no, and I, th- I can yeah. and I can live with that. You know. Yeah. 
It sounds great, <laughs> but you you've gone from a couple of different. There's a few different things swimming around here. You wanted to try to make a record in the hip hop tradition as one person making the music. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You make the music for yourself. But then I look at the liner notes. I mean, you mentioned that you, your daughter sings on a song. Mm -hmm. But I look at the liner notes. This is a very social record. You have a number of people playing on this record, right? Yeah. So what is the <laughs> so you, you you want to do something on your own, but you need to bring your community in at the same time? Is that is there some what's that all about exactly? Would you say? Uh, I mean it's about. I mean I can't play horns and cello and. I can't play like my friends. Mm. Honestly, I probably, if I had had more money and more time, I probably would have had time to experiment and make a record where I don't have to play all the instruments. Mm. I don't know. Everything is full of contradictions. I mean, there's no absolutes. I mean, I'm just kind of trying to make stuff. And when I feel like it's done... I put it out. Um, <laughs> okay. <I> mean, <laughs> Simple as that, really. I mean, I mean, I can't play, you know, I can't play trumpet like Rob Mazurik or Nate Walcott or like cello like Katinka. And, I mean, everybody who's on it is like an amazing musician and they contributed beautiful things to like my compositions. But, you know... There's a reason that the things that I play drums on are like a minute and two minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's telling that you get into hip hop and you get into a hip hop frame of mind and you start to gravitate towards the thing that makes beats. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a really a, a very beat driven culture, obviously. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's not news to anyone, but I assume that's part of what drew you to the drums because you were just immersed in this beat culture all of a sudden or, I mean, yeah, yeah. in this particular context okay so I guess what's next for you I mean you've done this record for your father you've done a record for your mother do you have a sense of what's coming next no I don't I kind of I have um no, I don't. I have no, I have no idea. <laughs> That's fair. That's I mean, fair. I, I have a lot of of music that I worked on around this last project, and I'll probably try and continue along the lines of, of that. I mean, I can see my next thing being something bigger, like a bigger ensemble, oh. like more more orchestration kind of yeah. uh, you know I mean I'd like to write for a bigger group kind of with the same process where I can kind of have a large group to kind of record and then like chop it up and paste it and move it around kind of the same the way that I make my music now yeah okay uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, 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 that that's where I'll go so you've got tour dates throughout March in the United States uh, that I'm looking at right now. How do you bring this record on tour? Are you bringing some of the people who contributed to the record with you, or how's that going to work? Yeah, yeah. They're, um, the tour that I just did in Europe was myself and Josh Johnson on alto sax and keyboards and Paul Bryan on bass, and Jemiah Williams was on drums. The next leg I have to do 
it's with Micaiah McRaven on drums instead of Jemire. Hmm. And, you know, they're all on that new album. Okay. Um, when we play in Chicago, hopefully Ruby, my daughter, will sing with us. Oh, nice. Yeah. You know, whoever's around. I mean, when we played in Amsterdam, Robin Zurich was there. And I asked him to play with us, but he didn't want to. <laughs> what? That just seems yeah. shocking to me. Rob always wants to play. You know, Rob's been on this show a bunch of times. He's a wild oh, man. Oh, yeah. He's a wild man, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he is. Well, he didn't want to this time. I don't know why. <laughs> He's all some sort of... It had probably something to do with the moon or the sun or something. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Right. Okay. Okay, so you'll have an ensemble. As I say, um, I'm looking at... Uh, you're on None Such partially now, I noticed. That's great. Yeah. That's yeah. Amazing. Yeah, so you're on, uh, if people want to learn more about your tour dates and... Stuff, Jeff. Um, I'm I'm point. I'm looking at the internet here. Obviously, nonesuch.com is one place to go. Where else could they go? Instagram. Oh yeah, yeah. Jeff Jeff Parker Sounds. Okay. Is my Instagram. I have a website, but unfortunately, it's, it's not geared towards. I don't have any tour dates on it. Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, All right. Well, it's it's the state of websites these days. They're just these dormant pieces of real estate. Yeah. So many of us, you know, go to my Instagram, go to the other stuff, but I haven't gone yeah. to my, my own website in years. I wouldn't recommend it. That's the way. Yeah, I understand. I hear where you're coming from. I'm I'm trying to maintain my own website, and I actually am doing a good job, I, I must oh, say. Oh, great. Well, I have to. I have, That's where all the these shows are kind of living. Um, I okay. uh, would be remiss before we go. I would re- be remiss if I didn't ask you what was up with Tortoise. I, I, uh, I know that with you and John... On the West Coast now, that's got to be creating some logistical barriers to getting together and playing. But are, did, are you playing TNT somewhere? I thought I saw that. Yeah, we're leaving actually on Friday to play uh, three nights in Tokyo at the Blue Note there. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah, and then I think we might be playing a show in Chicago this summer. We're trying to figure out how to make a new album. I mean, like you said, there is a logistical barrier yeah, yeah, yeah. with everyone living in different places now. Yeah. So we're trying to figure it out. But hopefully we'll start something later this year. Okay, great. That's great to hear. Okay, well, Jeff, uh, I appreciate you uh, being on the show. If we can go out on a song uh, from this new album, what would you select and, and why? What song would I select? Yeah. Uh, I would say... Um, Fusion swirl. Fusion swirl. Now, why did you why did you pick that one? It's where my head my head is at. I think it represents a lot of what the album is about, which is the most literal literal example of me kind of exploiting space with my music. Hmm. I mean, that's the sound of me making music in a space. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's exactly what it is. I mean, it's a recording of me listening to music in my studio at the Headland Center for the Arts where I was a resident. Oh. I mean, that's what it is. I basically moved my whole home studio, you know, seven hours north up to uh, Marin County. Hmm. And I was there for a month working on stuff. And I wrote most of the music for Sweet for Max Brown at that residency. Oh, okay. And that particular piece is I had made this thing and it's playing through my monitors in my studio, which was a big 3,000 square foot 
barn made of redwood. And that's me listening to it in the space and like kind of screaming and moving around and like playing yeah. bells. Yeah, I heard that. I, you can hear that. And I wondered what was going on. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's what I was trying to do. Like, you know, basically make a space for my music. That's actually what I'm doing. And on that one. <laughs> well, I mean, for what it's worth, thank you for making space for this music. It's really a wonderful record. It's, I'm sure it's going to stand the the test of, well, I was going to say this, the test of time, but I, I'm, I, this is a, a record that I, I I see critics fawning over already. I hope they remember it at the end of the year, if you know what I mean. I, I feel like they yeah. will. I, I feel <laughs> oh, like they will. It's really, really, really excellent. Oh man, thank you so much. Yeah, that means means so much to me. Thank you. You're welcome. This is Fusion Swirl by Jeff Parker from his excellent new record, Sweet for Max Brown. Jeff, this was really a pleasure. Thank you for making time for me, and and best of luck in the future. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
That was very, very nice to speak with Jeff Parker again, this time for the 525th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available on all iOS and Android platforms, literally everything. Also Spotify, YouTube, Audioboom. It is everywhere you want to be. If you can't locate an episode that you've heard about and are looking for on any of those things, it's not there for some reason. The podcast feed is cut off. The podcast feed is saying 525. That is too much. I'm not going all the way back to the beginning. You're out of your mind. So forget it. Anyway, if you're looking for an episode and you can't find it for some reason, it's likely in some form on my website, uh, which you can go to if you're looking to learn more about those shows, if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, the website in question, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook and follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative or follow me at Vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep the podcast going. There is a $6 or more tier now that gets you exclusive content. And I'll tell you what, I finally, I'm, you know, I'm in Edmonton now, as you may know, I moved. I finally got into my archives a little bit and I have a treat coming up for Patreon subscribers uh, who uh, donate, do, you know, donors, Patreon donors. You're subscribing and donating, donating at the same time. I don't know what to call you, but you're Patreon people. How about that? The Patreon people who pledge $6 or more, you're, you're in for a treat very soon, so look out for that. And again, if you want to learn more about uh, donating to the show and keeping it going, patreon.com slash Control. Thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, and Granddad's Donuts for their in-kind support for the show. Also, my dear friend Jim Guthrie, he loans me some music for the show. He will loan you music for your heart if you pay him. Go to jimguthrie.org to learn more about Jim and his heart-filling music. He's wonderful. jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and potentially checking out others, subscribing to the podcast, suggesting to you, uh, to your friends, maybe they might want to do the same. That would be nice. And I appreciate it. And I will talk to you soon. Goodbye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 